Let's talk about your background and development, kind of where you got started before this game specifically, and then just kind of what took you to this game. I know you've been working on it for over a decade at this point, but kind of what took you to the really early stages before this game? But working necessarily in games is something that started mostly in 2017 for me after a big move in my life that I like moved from Brazil to Canada. And when I got here, I, I came to study game design in a postgraduate program. I started like working in game jams with like a couple of friends and, and my husband as well and started developing games there like as a thing. Before it was mostly like in 2009, for example, I was in college at that time and I was studying to create games before, but didn't get much into that because my university was more focused in the broader approach in digital design and not specifically games. So was not super ready for game development. And uh, that idea started in 2009 when I was, was studying Flash. And I started like coding in Flash myself. I am not a programmer. <laughs> like I'm very far from a programmer. Can you talk to me about uh, that for a second? Because when you, I yeah. looked up the history for how you started this game and you were talking about Flash. And I've, it's something, yeah. I'm, it's really alien to me. Like I don't know a lot of details behind Flash development. I know Flash games were big like uh, about a decade ago, but I don't yeah. know too much about like what goes into that and the coding behind it and like all of that. So kind of what, what's what's all that? The coding behind behind that was not like out of this world because coding in ActionScript 2, which was the language back then, it was kind of like writing in English, basically. It was a little less complicated than the things that I find nowadays. But again, I'm not a programmer, so like things look way more complicated for me than for, for a coder like my husband. But it was something a little more straightforward for me. And it is also a very visual platform because a flash was used for animation mostly. Yeah. So it's 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 a visual setup that you can work with, uh, which helped me a lot. I'm I'm a designer, so it helps me to have something that is, is visual and I can work with visuals, not only with text. Because Flash is an animation program, correct? With Adobe, right? It was actually. Yeah. It doesn't exist anymore, I guess. Yeah, it got shut down <laughs> like what a few years back or so. I think so. I, I stopped uh, like following Flash in, I think, like 2015 or something or even before. I thought it shut down in uh, like 2019 or something. I could be wrong, though. I might be off by a little it bit. It could be. It could be. Like, it, it doesn't sound so ancient that they shut it down. Mm. So it, it could be like 2019. Yeah, yeah. But that was a, it was a thing back then. It was like you had tutorials all over the internet. It was something easy to find. It, it was something that you could get yourself into if you were like a starting into games mm -hmm. and if you didn't have like huge coding experience uh you still had to have some because it was programming at the end but i thought it was a little less problematic to learn mm -hmm. than like for someone without a programming background yeah so since the game originally started in Flash, where is it an RPG Maker game now? Is it a... Is it's a Unity like game. What made you decide on Unity? Oh, what made us decide on Unity? Like, my husband started working with Unity on his college project. Oh, okay. So, like, this was something he was starting to pick up and was something that he was finding a lot of tutorials to, like, begin at the time. And, and that was the one that he had experienced when we decided to, to start the game. So, it was like, let's just jump into the ones that we, we can do already. Like, instead of, like, trying to relearn everything and go to another engine. This game, you know, 
it's been alive and being developed in various forms for you know uh, quite a while now so it's the thing like it was 2009 and i worked on that in 2009 for like two months three months tops mm -hmm. and then that project just went into like a box for ages oh okay and it was resurrected 10 years later basically 10 and i think 10 11 something like that how did the decision come to be where you were like you know what i'm gonna pull this game back out and start working on it again we wanted to start creating like a, a bigger commercial game like that that was the thing that led us to think of uh, a project to pick up like we have all these like crazy ideas from other projects as well and we were trying to think which one is not the biggest and but is also could be an interesting game to 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 start with so that that's why we picked up on this one like we were thinking about that idea like I, it was actually my husband remembered mm -hmm. the, the the game that i did with that and he was like maybe we can revive this and rework this in another way and then and it turned from a simple platformer with levels to a metroidvania after we like we started brainstorming what we could improve on the game what could be more interesting what could be slightly more different than that what I had before in college in comparison to other things we were seeing when we started to revise it from. So like with the core of the game itself, that kind of stayed the same, but like everything else around it kind of evolved. Actually, no, the core changed a lot. Like uh, in the beginning, you chose one character and, and the, like the original idea, you had these six characters, but you only chose one and they didn't have special skills or mechanics. So we started from there, uh, rethinking the idea. And then we were like, oh, maybe they could have different mechanics and different skills that could like make your playthrough from the game feel different each time you choose a character. But after a while, we're like, what if you can use all of them and change between them through the game. You don't need to start a game all over to experience the game again with a different character, just changing them as you play through yeah. whenever you want. And that's how like we evolved the core mechanic of what we had before into what it is today. And that's that's a very interesting mechanic to me is that like you can change different characters while you're within a level. And there's like a lot of layers to being able to do that from like I don't know if this game has inventory or not, or like the weapon systems, or we haven't gotten into any of the gameplay aspects, but I guess how does it transfer from like one character to the next? Does all of your stuff just switch to that character? Is it different? Kind of walk me through how that works with this game. It works kind of like you're changing a lot of the things of the character, but like they still have some shared basics. Uh, we don't have like equipments, as you say, like weapons or armors or things like that. You ha we have a, another type of thing in the game and we can talk more about it later. Yeah. It's so like things like health, how much damage you can take, how much damage you deal, they kind of remain the same. Apart from damage, there's a, a small detail with one of the characters that the damage is slightly modi uh, modified because of how his mechanic works. But other than that, it's just like those basics stay the same. It's like it, it, you could imagine like it's a single layer of stats that you have these characters that follow those layer of stats. Okay, and that kind of transitions over from character to character. Exactly, gotcha. uh, but the rest is like completely different. Like their mechanics, movement, combo system, even though like the elements, the elemental powers is that one thing that is a core portion of our game is like everything changes when you, when you change a character. 
and different from what we usually see out there in games that have like this multitude of like forms when you change in the game. In ours, you're actually changing a character. Like they have their own personalities, their own traits that are completely different from each other instead of being like a version of the, of the character, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nowadays with indie games, one of the genres that has been expanding the most rapidly is kind of these platformer styled games, right? Because it's a good place to start for an indie development team. You know, you get to key in on those like specific attributes of game development. It's kind of fundamentally a little bit more simplistic. It gives you some things you can kind of latch on to and grow and, and create a very unique title. But the problem is with that, there are so many platformers out there nowadays where it can be hard to kind of like take your game and separate it from the pack. So with that in mind, kind of how did you approach this game specifically where you were like, it's going to be different in this way. It's going to set apart. It's going to set itself apart kind of in this specific sense from other games. One of the strategies we had in mind, having six playable characters that you you have the ability to swap between them all the time was something that we found would be kind of unique enough to pull out of the huge pool of uh, platformer games. Yeah. We are also trying to push more towards the Metroid Vanid, a subgenre of platforming, which is you still have like a good amount of indie games on that genre as well, but it's not as intense, I guess, than, than just regular platformers. And that that's one of the things we are doing with that. It's like we're mostly putting towards the Metroid Vanya genre instead of just a regular platformer. Although we want to keep the platforming experience in the game, like as exploration, we're, we're deviating from that like platformer style of like levels, you know, you're not, you're not like jumping into a level and then finishing the level then jump to the next level it's more like it's a it's a whole world that we're creating and you can you can just explore it as kind of as you see fit if you have the skills with pixelated games specifically and with platformers with development there's certain limitations you kind of face where it's like that depth of field that kind of immersion for players things like that so with this game how did you guys face off against that? Where was there some problems where you tried to get past that? Talk to me about kind of the limitations of creating a game that's on a 2D plane, that's a pixelated style. Kind of what was that for you? Talking about the art style, like it's a 2D uh, pixel art game, which is a kind of could like pull a little away from that immersion just because it's not a 3D, more realistic approach. So it's more like a cartoony 2D style, so it could have that. And it's also come to the point that when you're working with pixel art and 2D assets, sometimes the problem is like making the, the necessary assets pop a little more in comparison to the scenario and things that you don't interact with without making it look like they don't belong. It, it's a limitation and difficulty at the same time to do. It's just, you just have to like keep like testing and trying yeah. visually when you're planning those things. Like, and I, I as the artist, I can, I can tell like literally that because that's exactly what I do all the time. Sometimes like I have these uh, canvases with like a multitude of characters in the middle of it trying to choose colors and, and shapes for a scenario just to see if all of them can actually belong in that scenario without you losing a character or without the character looking like it shouldn't be there can i ask what do you build your characters in do you build them directly in um unity do you do them in blender do you uh, i do them in a sprite okay it's a it's a 2d uh, pixel art tool like it's it's a it's a very cheap 
tool. Like it's amazing, super powerful. You can do animations in there. It, uh, the timelines are super helpful. Like I, I really love it. Like what's very worth my money. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got six characters, you don't just have one. So I mean, there's got to be a lot of yeah. a lot of you know character animation work that you have to really just um, painstakingly put into this game. Exactly. Like I have like Geta, for example, like the the first character, mm. uh, the red fat dragon. And like I, I think I might have like more than two hundred frames for him alone. <laughs> and I'm not even talking about his sister because she also has like underwater animations, which it doubles her. Up. You know, some of the artwork I've seen for the game where they, you know, you have, I think there was a clip I saw where they're going through the water and they do this like spin effect where the water kind of like twirls around the character. Yeah. It was like little effects. I think, you know, even in a pixel game, it really captures the sense of like immersion. That animation was insane to create. <laughs> like insane. I've never done something like that before and I had no idea what I was doing. And how I got there. And I think like the biggest trick with that animation is that you have to start and end. Like the start is always the same. So it doesn't matter much. But the end is the problem mm. because you have to be able to finish the animation wherever the player, wherever the player releases the button. Yeah. So how do you do that mm. in a pixel art 2D game? Like how do you plan when the player is going to leave and what the next frame is going to? Be? So like all that planning is like it, it gets a little crazy. But like you find some tips and tricks like in and through like your own practice. Mm. Yeah. You you find some like tricks that you can use to actually mitigate those problems and, and work around them. Were you guys always going to make this game as a pixelated title or did you ever like throw around the idea to do it in kind of like that ultra realistic sense or no it was always pixel yeah it was always going to be pixel art gotcha. uh i think mostly because i love pixel art i am a pixel artist basically it's the the style i do and i focus everything that i do around that i can lose myself in actually drawing some stuff like it and suddenly it's like 3 a.m. Yeah. I also think with the game, especially for somebody who's making their first game and they're making it in Unity, I think there's uh, some constrictions where you're putting so much effort into making a 3D, like super ultra realistic title. And some developers do do it, they do it very well. But I think if you want to create a title and you don't want to take, you know, five, six, seven years with a small team doing it, you're, you should probably focus on a more, I guess, a more simplistic style where you're not using all of your effort just to make the environment look good because you're always inevitably when you're doing something that's ultra realistic you're going to have to compete against those triple a titles and there's just no plausible way any indie developer can do that and do it successfully so yeah and and it's not only not only that like when you're doing something that you're you're striving for that realism mm -hmm. You know, like, for, for especially, and that works with 3D because when you do 2D, it, it already pulls you out of the realism a little bit. And it, it, it doesn't have the same effect. When you do a 3D and you try to get to the realism, but you cannot get there, you create that uncanny valley effect, which is, which is going to become awkward for everyone who is watching it and, and trying to play through it. It's, it's going to create like a feeling of uneasiness yeah. if you don't do it properly. So that's why like competing on the 3D market when you're trying to do and, and compete with those, like triple A studios with God knows how many employees <laughs> to strive for that. And you're going to do that in a team of like, and let's be generous, six people. 
like good luck yeah and i think one developer i talked to he said a limitation spur creativity which i think is very true for any game and i think is something that 2d pixelated art when you work within those constrictions i think it creates that outlet for where you have to work around certain things and it it just it makes something more unique and more interesting when you're kind of doing it that way and that is i think like you have to know how far you can go being productive because it doesn't matter if you can do like something like an amazingly beautiful but if it takes you like six months to do a scenario there's something wrong yeah wrong in there exactly it doesn't make sense from a strategic standpoint at all and there's always those things uh that you have to be careful of like if you're if you're taking long to do one thing and you're always improving on that thing you're gonna have to improve everything you have to know when to stop and to to make everything like connect because if you if you're doing like a character and you improve that character beyond a point it looks awesome but all the other characters don't you're gonna have Adam, with AAA, I think this is a real thing. With developers and marketers, because there's two separate teams working on one specific game, I think marketers want to release the game now, and I think developers want to release it like in 10 years, you know? So they'll always want to push it back and keep making it better and better. And marketers are just like, you know what? We can do the patches, we can do the updates. Let's get this game out there and let's get this going. So, like, and that's not something obviously the indie world ever has to worry about, but it's like that dynamic where you have the creativity and just like you want to have this perfect artistic piece that gets put out because it's obviously something you're creating and then you have the team that's like you know this is a product we need to get it out there we need to have people experience it so let's just get it out there so it's one of those interesting things in the indie development board like it's you have a little bit of that but you don't have the marketing team the development you are the marketing team mm -hmm. and the development <laughs> exactly yep. so like you're actually in a constant battle with yourself of what is like, what is appropriate to do. Mm -hmm. Should we push the game over the finish line as soon as possible? Or should you take like forever to finish it and make it as fast as it can? You kind of have to find a balance in the middle. I was gonna say, I think indie games, they have that cheat card because they have early access, which is like the perfect loophole around like releasing a game, but also being able to roll out updates. So you can do early access release in like, you know, 2019, yeah. and then you can fully release the game maybe in like 2022, but I feel like people would be more forgiving to those specific little like bugs or issues because it's technically an early access title. It's one of those unique yeah. things that's specific to the indie world. Yeah, but the the early access can also be a double-edged sword because like it, it, it's it kind of counts as a, as a release and it kind of takes a little out of your full release. I would agree with that. I think once it takes really a little of that power of the releasing of the game, like in the fact of being a marketing thing, like releasing a game, it, it brings attention you know and the early access kind of takes a portion of that away from you i think the best example of that is in the AAA world with um cyberpunk because when it released that game was thoroughly broken it took them a, a quite a while to get it to the point where it was fully playable i think a couple months back is when they said you know it was all the way up to where it should be and the problem is people you know their attention spans it just life goes on you know so yeah at this point it doesn't matter anymore that game has lost all of its sales it's kind of it's past that point you know so it i that kind of directly relates to kind of an early access thing where the updates exactly. and the release you know it, it takes away from it. So it, it it can take a, a huge impact sometimes it's just like you have to understand what is the best approach for you in that situation like early access is a very good thing like i'm not saying it's a bad thing you just need to know if it's the step that sh that your game or that specific game needs 
And it's it's not something we're planning for Gata Cake, for example. I was going to ask, are you guys going to get really access? Yeah, no. Probably not. Uh, I'm not going to say no, because I don't know about the future. But you guys have the demo out now. We do, we do. And, and we are not planning on access for Gata Cake for a few reasons. And one of, that, one of those reasons is that it's kind of a, a story-based game. And when you have a story-based game that you keep stopping, every single time because you're waiting for updates and new portions of the story, you kind of lose that story a little bit. Uh, so you, you kind of lose the experience. Yeah. I mean, with that, I think the next question is about kind of the game world itself. So before we get into the story, the game, so the world's called, is it just Shagria? Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. It's a sh sugar. Gotcha. It's, it's based on sugar. I wasn't sure if there was like kind of like a, a fun way of saying it or if I was just it dead on. So I'm glad I got that right. But talk to me about the game world, right? Because from what I saw, you have a day and night cycle, I believe. Yes. There's a, this time that passes. Just kind of talk to me about the game world itself and how that day and night cycle comes into play and kind of how that world changes as the game progresses. And so the game, the game world was created by the goddess of the game, which is uh, Optana. I'm not going to get too much into the backstory of that. Uh, so she basically created a world around her on the power of sugar, basically, because sugar is the biggest source of energy in the universe we created. So everything in that environment in the world is based around sweets and sugars uh, in that sense. Uh, so you're, oh, you're going to see all these probably wacky creations that, that we have, like a uh, mountain full of ice cream basically like one of the places is a mountain that's covered with ice cream and icing and, and everything like that cinnamon trees uh we have a, a desert that is full of cookies uh, so instead of the sand being actual sand it's just like cookie crumbles uh or another one is that an ocean made of flan you're not gonna you're never gonna have like that smooth water it's probably gonna be a jiggly water mm, okay. so you, we have all these like little details and stuff that we want to change to bring down the appearance of the sugar world mm -hmm. without creating a candy land we don't want to create a candy land we want to to make it seem sugar based with those like sweets and stuff mm -hmm. but look a little more natural where's the challenge in balancing that it's trying to not make something that looks insanely pink and purple <laughs> and candy everywhere Got you. Okay. you know yep. It's, it's we don't want to create a word that would belong on kirby okay, okay. i mean nothing against kirby i love i love kirby love kirby but it's a, we don't want to get to that point mm -hmm. i think the balance is knowing how to to keep that like you know like make a candy like a candy that has like let's say a hard candy that has all these colors and all these patterns but make it look like it actually grew naturally it actually belongs to that place and it's not like a piece of candy that you're actually stuck in there that that is the challenge so with that day and night cycle does that impact does it impact the world as a, as a whole does it kind of impact certain elements of it does it change things as you like go back and explore kind of how's that work in the game it changes uh it's gonna change the world it's gonna change enemies you're gonna find it's gonna change npcs that you can meet like sometimes you you can only meet certain npcs at night or maybe at dawn that were not there before uh some enemies are going to be active at night while others are going to be only active during the day and when you're backtracking and traveling through places again you're, you might have different experiences just because the, the time of the day is different so that's that's one thing that we we implemented the day and night cycle especially to 
give that freshness of backtracking. And we kind of decided to implement some of those into certain behaviors of the world, like certain passages may open, certain places might be closed if you come in at the wrong times, certain challenges might only work on certain times of day, and you might have to like go back to a nest and rest, because you, you, you can pass the day using the nest. That's one thing that we wanted to give the player the ability to do. So they won't have to sit around and wait, but they have to do that at an S. It's not something that you can do every single minute. Is the nest like a central hub kind of deal for the game? Is that like where you can go? And you said it's kind of like a safe point. Okay, gotcha. Um, imagine benches in Hollow Knight. Ah, I um, see. It's kind of the same approach. Okay. They are going to, you're going to see like a lot of nests uh, scattered around the world. Mm -hmm. And you, you're going to use that as your save points. So basically you rest there and you're saved there. Like whenever you die, you just go back to that position. Um, without losing progress, one thing that we wanted to make sure is that whenever you, you, you die in the game and you go back to a NAS, you don't lose certain things that you did, like acquiring items, money, uh, opening passages, talking to certain NPCs. We actually want the player to be able to keep those okay. so they don't have to redo everything. It's not like a roguelite or something where, like, when you die, you drop no. all your stuff and you have to go back and get it? No, no. We, we, we decided to avoid that. Like, uh, we, we think that some aspects of our game are already punishing enough that we don't need to punish the player <laughs> even more just because of that. Gotcha. That makes like, sense. Like, we have an elemental system that is, uh, if, you, if you don't get it correctly, it's going to punish you a lot. Uh, and that is already punishing it up. Mm. Like uh, we, we, we thought about making you lose the money, for example, like when you die, which a lot of games do, like Dark Souls do, does that a lot. Like if, whenever you die, you lose everything that you're holding. Mm. We thought about that and we decided to just, you know, take a step back. We already have all these punishing situations that can happen. Is this really necessary? Mm. And so we decided to cut back on that and just like, let the player have everything they have. Let the player keep their you know, their exploration, D don't punish a player for exploring. Like, they explored that area. Don't make them lose the map. Mm -hmm. Don't make them lose uh, money they caught or items they, they, they found just because of this. We mentioned the day and night cycle and how that kind of affects the world. This isn't an RPG, um, so I would imagine that seasons aren't part of this game correct or is it something that's yeah. it's not okay and we are we're not planning seasons so we dabbled in the idea of um weather mm. as well but for now we decided to stick with the day night cycle as a, as a beginning with all that <laughs> i mean from a technical standpoint what's kind of the most difficult aspect of of bringing the game world to life you mentioned that kind of that line where you don't want it to be too like candyland style so you have that artistic thing but what about from like the technical side of things where you're trying to actually create the level systems and put them in place? I, I can talk more about like level design rather than technical programming approach. Mm. That would be more with my husband. Yeah. But I, I can think of a few things because I do understand that little bit about programming since of my flash background, but not enough to actually get into like full deep detail. But one of the things that it actually has to, like, it's, it's kind of a, like a, something that you always have to keep in mind when you have like this situation, like a day and night cycle that you have possibly four times in a day. You have day, dusk, dawn, and night, and you have to plan 
every single portion of your level based on having possible four times putting there and what differences they can cause, what enemies can be there. Is this enemy going to change? Uh, is this enemy going to be there or not during that time of day? So you always have to keep that in mind. And that, that can be a little bit challenging because sometimes you're, you're like, you're putting these enemies around that are during the day and day and, and dusk, for example. And when you get at night, these other enemies appear. Is this going to become a problem? Yeah. These new enemies are going to become a huge impact added to the other ones that are, that are already in there. So you, you have to always keep those things in mind. And other things, like as I mentioned, like maybe opening passages or not. What is the thing that you have to know in here that could happen if the player is like going to get here and be locked into this area if the time passes when they're there? Because that, that is not nice. <laughs> you have to plan those. I would say it takes a little more planning than it's actually a huge challenge. It just takes an extra step of planning. With the people who have played the demo so far, has feedback from them impacted kind of how you structured this game world? In, in some portions, yes. Mm. For example, I would say like the version we have today of the demo, uh, it's not the same as we had when we launched the demo. Mm. What was it, December last year? I think? Like it was a lot more difficult. We have these, the, the, the enemies that every player hates is the ghosts. The blue ghosts with the lantern. The, uh, we call them lantern licks. Okay. I'm not sure if you've seen that most. Uh, I actually, you know enemy. what? I haven't had a chance to play the demo yet. So be ready for that particular dude. His uh, everyone hates him. Mm. Everyone hates him a lot. And it's because like in, there was this particular area of the game that we put. There's a lot of hazards like spikes in 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 the whole area mm -hmm. that you have to be a little more careful when traversing and most players got to that portion at night which is when the ghosts appear which happened that whenever they get there the ghosts would create this huge havoc and a lot of people panic <laughs> people panic when something starts laughing and appear on your screen people start to panic a little bit that's funny it's a little funny to watch <laughs> i'm gonna be honest <laughs> the, it's also you, you, maybe not as much a play like because i developing i know where they are so i don't take that surprise but uh, we noticed that like a huge amount of people like a, a very high percentage of people got to that portion at night and in it was a little more difficult to walk at night in that area like it, it was on purpose we made the area difficult to walk at night because mm -hmm. of the ghosts and that goes for a lot of the areas in the in the current demo that brings up another topic so with indie games i've always heard people say and i have been victim or i have been one of those people that, that have said it at times myself indie games tend to be a little bit more they're built for people who play way more games than people who play like play like i don't know your standard AAA title and i think the difficulty levels because of that are a little bit more heightened is that something that like you have ever noticed within this game within other indie games is this something you kind of took into account it sounds like kind of a little bit with the demo but it, it, it is a little like i i agree a little bit with that statement i do notice that it, it might be a little hard for maybe the maybe for a broader audience yeah, to get the into casual players yeah the casual players mm -hmm. but that is one point that you have to keep in mind when you're building a game who are you building that to are you building that for a casual gamer or are you building that for a more more avid player because you cannot build for both it, it, you can for certain games but most of that is a particularly different area for you to go to like when you're doing games like this like a metroidvania or an action game or or 
platformer, precision platformer, and all those like in-betweens, you cannot tackle both at the same time. What you can do is you can mitigate some of the things. Uh, and one thing that we're trying to do is we're creating difficulty levels and, and we have a built-in assist mode in the game that allows you to take some of those more punishing difficulties out just so you can enjoy the game. Is it too difficult for you? Take this out. Mm. If it helps you play, we just want you to play. Is that the way we intended the game to be played? No. Is it a problem? Of course not. Play, as long as you play it and have fun. That is the point. Is there a challenge in creating like multiple difficulties in this game? A little bit. Mm. When, you, when you go into things like maybe you have to change some things in the, in the AI through that, that starts to become a little more challenging if you have to change those particular things. Uh, the balancing sometimes could be an issue, like cutting things out here and there. But it's a little more straightforward in certain points that I didn't think it was. One thing that we did is like we have a easier mode. We don't call it easy mode because we are just we like the play on foods, mm -hmm. so we just call it cupcake mode. Yeah, so just a little cupcake. And one of the things that it does is that it it takes out portion of the punishing uh, mechanic of the elemental. System. It's one of the huge portions of the combat. Yeah. On the on that mode, we just cut it out a little bit. Like, is it too punishing for you? Play on the easier mode, it's not going to be as much. The double damage is taken off. You don't take double damage. From, if I'm remembering correctly, I think you don't take double damage from anything. I never played on that mode, so <laughs> I could, could be missing something in there. But it's, it's, it's basically that. We're taking a little of that limitation. But on the other hand, we created a, a wedding cake mode, which is the harder mode, is that you take double damage from everything if you're not strong against it. So just adding that extra level of punishment if you want to try harder. So there are six characters you can play as. I guess let's just start off with kind of those six characters, what kind of separates them from each other. And then from there, we can kind of get into how you can transition and from one to the other while you're on, you know, different levels and things like that. But kind of what's those core differences between each of those uh, different characters? So the characters, or we have six different characters, all of them belong to one of the elements that govern the, the universe of this game. And everything between them is that they, they have different uh, gameplay mechanics like combat system is different for all of them and as an example uh Geta, which is the first character whenever he attacks he moves forward with each of his attacks of the combo so you have to keep in mind uh if you have enough space to hit the enemy or if you're not going to throw yourself off a platform uh, on the other hand his sister Piki, she doesn't move mm. when she attacks so she's perfect to fight in small areas because she doesn't have that problem. So that's that's the thing we want to bring with all of the characters, like that difference in gameplay. You're kind of always having that fresh uh, take on, on how to fight an enemy. Like, oh, this enemy is on a small platform, so I'm not going to use Gather to fight against it. Uh, I'm going to try to use Picky because she doesn't move forward, so she's not going to fall off in the middle of combat. Or I don't have to pay that much attention to my movement. So I'm not going to be like falling off by mistake uh, as long as the enemy is not earth because then Piki doesn't, Piki cannot fight him. Like that is the portion of the element mm -hmm. system is that if you are weak against the element, you don't do any damage to them. Because you mentioned combat is, it's not weapon based, it's element based and then kind of combo based, correct? 
yeah so it's combo based like all the characters are gonna have differently like we did we did review all of the characters and their combos already like for example uh kachu which is the the ice character she moves backward when attacking and she's the only one that actually has a range of so she actually attacks from distance so like if you're trying to st just stay safe when fighting she's actually a good option mm. but you also have to be careful because she moves backwards whenever she attacks so it's actually getting further away from the enemy uh and you can actually fall off a ledge if you're not paying attention or you can hit your back on another enemy if you're not pay paying attention enough well grapple for example which is the the earth character he's good for comboing his his animations are faster than his siblings so for anyone who actually wants less wind up when attacking uh he is the character for that he attacks faster he can throw enemies upward and just like go directly into his air combo to throw the down and continue with his land combo and it can just if the enemy has life enough mm -hmm. and can be knocked up and down, like you can keep knocking the enemy as long as you want. Couch co-ops is something that are I think is surging lately. A lot of developers are kind of leaning into it right now. With this game, it felt like that was kind of yeah. like an opportunity for that to be a feature. Is that something you guys had ever thought about or, or it never really was something that was plausible for this game? We entertained the, that, that thought. There's a lot of nuances and different things that have to be taken into account if we go that right, especially because it's going to become an extra step in development that is going to be huge. So we kind of decided to scrap that off. It, it might be a missed opportunity a little bit, but it could create a lot of issues that we we're not planning mm -hmm. so we kind of decided to hold off on that and the thing is like between changing the six characters how could people play together if they wanted to change to the same character how would that work how difficult it would be to make that clear to the player that they have either they had to select characters prior or or things like that it, it kind of became a snowball of problems mm -hmm. that we decided to just hold back on that as well with this game though so you can switch characters whenever you want or is there like a specific place within the world you have to do it at kind of how does that work whenever you want okay whenever you want like uh with in the controller in the game pads you just hold uh the left trigger and you have this ui that pops up here in front of your player mm -hmm. that you can just like turn with the right stick and you can select the, the character you don't need to 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 enter a menu or, or go anywhere else you can do it you can do mid jump if you want mid combo you can actually change the character in the combo to cut the wind up of your combo to cancel an animation changing between characters that's one thing that we we, we introduced in the game as well just to give that extra level of you know doing things like if the player wants to do things a little bit faster like oh i'm in the middle of this wind up of my character i'm gonna change this one and start comboing already with another one so with that i mean can you can you rank these characters up is there like a skills tree a leveling system kind of how does that work within this game not a leveling system because we we wanted to to avoid that balancing but we do have some some upgrades that are going to be available for the characters. Uh, besides the cakes itself, the cakes are going to give skills like mobility skills, combat skills, all of those all, all of those things. So those are the cakes. The each character has a, a number of specific cakes that they can get. The cakes only work for certain characters. So if you try to pick up a a, a cake with let's say get a that is meant for picky nothing is going to happen you have to change your picky to actually pick the cake okay. and we're planning other things that you're going to be able to find while exploring maybe something that 
can boost your normal attack for all the characters or certain specific things that give something extra for this character and each of them has one specific thing that you can find in the world we are planning this like controlled upgrades that, that we can add to the game for for the players that that we will give that sense of like a, a, a leveling system but it, without without having levels when you say per se. when you say controlled upgrades is that like to the skills kind of where do those go into effect not we're not 100 sad on all of them mm -hmm. but i would say like for example the the upgrade on damage let's say it adds one damage to each of the combo oh, okay. let's say one upgrade uh, that is like that or well, health upgrades, we're going to have the, the pieces of egg mm. that you'll find around the world that are actually going to increase your, your health, and when you, your maximum health. When you pick those up, does it like go across the board for all your characters? Would it, yes. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that is a, that is a shared, a shared uh, stat. The, the health is, a, is shared between all the characters. Oh, okay. So like if you switch out to a different character, you would still have the exact same health. It wouldn't like go up. Yeah, okay. they would have this. It's still the same. All right. So with that, I mean, talk to me more about like the gameplay and the combat. How does that play out? How does it play against kind of your enemy AI? Kind of how does that work in the game? We're doing slow paced combat compared to the fast paced combats that you usually see on this type of genre. Mm -hmm. It's not like a super slow paced combat. Let's say it's more like a deliberate combat that you have these wind ups on the animations that you have, have to keep in mind between distance and how long you, you take to finish certain animations. It's kind of a commitment on the combat that you actually have to take in mind. And we kind of take that an inspiration, like, as I mentioned, like I love Monster Hunter, uh, and you have that in Monster Hunter a lot of certain web that you're like, if you do an attack, you're like, you're stuck into that position in, in that animation because like you, you did that attack. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like one of the points of, the, of our gameplay in combat is that it's, it's a little bit about this strategic approach to combat instead of just getting to a monster and smashing attack. It's kind of how we want players to approach the game. And, and that gets added in an extra level, layer of complexity when we put the element into consideration. If you're working with a stronger element, you're going to do double the damage to your enemies and take less damage. As on the other hand, if you're actually for weaker element, you are going to take double damage and you cannot deal any damage to the, to the enemy. So you kind of have to plan on that when you're going to attack this enemy. Like you have two ice enemies in the, in the area and a water enemy shooting at you. Are you going to use the fire character to kill the ice enemies first, but having the the threat of a water enemy trying to kill you mm. and dealing double damage to you or you're going to deal with with the water enemy first with the earth character when ice is going to be your problem because it's going to deal double damage for you or you're just going to use a random uh a neutral element against those you know, we, we want to get the player into that point of thinking about that am i going to kill them faster but be in a position that i'm also vulnerable or going to take a little longer but be a little more safe when dealing with my target and you can't like swap elements between characters can you there is specific elements for specific characters and they are specific gotcha. uh, get is always fire peak is always water they cannot change their elements mm -hmm. uh so uh, yeah, it kind of it's 
it's it's it w- I think it would be too much to be able to change elements into a character. It, it would create a lot of like more layers of things that you could do. Yeah, like they they are their own beings with their with, with their specific element. With the enemy AI, how much how much did you guys put into that? Did you want it to be like I know some one developer that I discussed. He kind of wanted it to be like Dark Souls, where his combat. It wasn't specifically a learning feature where it picks up on your specific combo types, but it kind of, if you had a specific attack and you just kept doing it, it would trigger a certain reaction. Kind of how much did you want to bring into your AI, your enemy attacks and things like that to kind of like make gameplay more immersive? I know you said you wanted it to be a little bit more of like a challenging experience with certain elements that get brought into gameplay, but kind of how did that, how did you guys kind of figure out the balance for that for one for enemy ai specifically we're since we're still like on uh on most of the the beginnings of the game mm-hmm. the the AI is not like advanced yet yeah. but we do want to like introduce a little more enemies that will be less uh one trick ponies for now we have these uh, the enemies that we have are more they have these uh very specific things that they do they're a little more simpler on the side the boss is a little bit more complicated but not that much like since it's the first boss so it, it shouldn't be like a huge issue mm-hmm. to, to battle right uh but one thing that we are doing with the with the combat and specifically bosses per se is that you cannot go up to the boss and start hitting it right away mm-hmm. It has to be vulnerable to you to attack. So, like one of our first uh, mini bosses in the game, it's a it's a huge boar that you have to wait for it to hit his head against the wall, to, so you can actually hit him because he's going to be stunned. And that's kind of what we want to bring with like some of the combat is that you have to create an opportunity for yourself to actually be able to fall, to to attack the boss. And not only like just go up and start smashing attack when when the boss is like on a wind up animation. Yeah, yeah, okay. What about so with that? I mean, what about the um, the level design itself? Kind of how is that structured? It is a Metroidvania, so there is that like level of exploration that players have. But is there like you know you traverse through this certain portion of the map and then you face a boss and then you get to like. I, I don't know, I guess a nest area where you can save and then, you know, talk to NPCs or something and then move on. Kind of how does, how did you guys structure your level system? We are, we are structuring it a little more open mm-hmm. in areas, uh, but we do have in mind like a central hub area, mm-hmm. which is the main city of the game that you're going to, like after you, you follow like the first path, like of the, of the area and you're like, uh, advancing a little bit you're gonna get to this area where the npcs uh live which is uh the main main city of the world of sugria and in that area is like it's it's gonna be like it's literally a central hub in its in, in a sense because that area connects to a lot of the other ones mm, okay that you, you're going to pass through this this area a little more often not the city per se but like the area where the city is like it's uh it's called the syrupy mines mm. uh this area so you're going to pass through there to go to certain areas a little more often than let's say the first forest the first floor is not that connected to a lot of the areas that's kind of how we structured the level we created these uh all these areas around this hubish area this 
this this little little central little central area it's amazing like it's gonna be a big area anyway mm -hmm. uh there, there's, we have this big big central portion that is going to connect to order like around that's how it's kind of how we're structuring most of the level mm -hmm. but we have other areas around there you have to go through one area to actually reach it after and we, we want the player to be able to to experience certain of the areas in order that they want. Okay, so like the world's not locked in like certain places when you start out, you can kind of branch out wherever you want to go. Just a few, because we have a difficulty in that sense, mm. because the game is kind of story-based, yeah. as I mentioned, and you have six characters. So we kind of have to force the player to get the six characters first before, before they are able to actually explore everything at their will. Oh, so you don't start out with the six characters right away. No, you unlock them as you move forward. Gotcha. Between having to save them from a certain situation or finding them in a certain area. Not going to give a lot of spoilers mm -hmm. on how you find them in the game, mm -hmm. but we already plan how all of them are going to be found. Uh, and we kind of want to make the, we, we, you want to open a little bit of the exploration for the player in the, in the beginning. But we kind of have to force them to find those six. And when they have the six, we can actually open more doors for them to go to. That's a perfect segue because next question is all about the story itself. So kind of talk to me about the gameplay or not the gameplay. I'm sorry. Talk to me about the story in this game and kind of how that branches out as you progress. You mentioned like you're unlocking these different characters as you go. But outside of that, kind of how does the story evolve as you kind of move forward? The basic story of Gata Cake is your world of Shugria is your home world is where you live is being invaded by creatures that you don't know and your siblings are missing and you don't have uh your source of food which is the cakes the beginning of the story is you're in the shoes of Geta, which is uh the fire dragon and who is the leader of the group and but he's a super lazy lazy fat dragon who just wants to eat and sleep and after you know finding out that his siblings are missing and especially the food is missing he starts going into this adventure to to figure out what's happening like mostly for the food mm -hmm. siblings second yeah. that is how get it works yeah but i mean mainly is that like everything is in, is in disarray from what the character knew so everything is out of the place the character has, has been sleeping for a very long time when you play the demo you're gonna see the amount of time that uh, we wrote mm -hmm. that he's sleeping for uh and you're kind of gonna understand why everything so crazy so that is it like he he wakes up and everything is completely a mess mm -hmm. it, you and all of them have these uh companions called sakurides they are they guide them to be who they who they need to be in the end because th these these dragons they go through a cycle of life they they are born they evolve eating those cakes to, to grow in power gather energy and they expand the universe when they are out of energy they come back and they turn back into an egg and they hatch again and the process starts again. But they have no recollection of what they did before. They only know specific things like who are their, their siblings and who, who is their grandmother and everything. So those are like just the specifics that they know. And in the story of the game that the players are going through is that the balance of the universe was is broken because these creatures that invaded, they were supposed to maintain the balance while the dragons were growing up again mm -hmm. but they decided to get out of the shackles of slavery and 
counterattack the dragons and keep them starved of their food supply mm -hmm. so they would never grow so they don't need to work anymore we talked about npcs briefly but do those npcs have like side quests that players have kind of do that does that impact the overall story of the game itself kind of how does that work here so for side quests uh we we're planning some mm -hmm. sort of side quests uh of course uh we're not completely sure on all the types of side quests we are going to tackle but a few of the side quests that we are thinking are, are things like collecting certain items through the war that are going to rebuild the city and repopulate the city uh saving the sakariti that were captured in cages around the world so those sorts of side quests there are a little it's not like the the sort of side quest and go to this npc and talk to him and he gives you like a fetch quest that you go and get this and come back yeah we, we didn't plan side quests like that maybe we can have a few i don't know yet like what, what sort of side quests ar around that that we might be able to create but we're mostly thinking about things like uh, collect this uh collect these uh certain things to rebuild this certain area like we have the, an archives in the games that we're planning that are going to have information imagine like a library mm, okay all like the lore and everything and one of the things that we're planning for side quests is that might you the player might collect information back and the player might have like that information of the lore at their disposal to now read and learn the other is saving the saccharides and that might impact the city and maybe something happened so it's like it affects your central hub and it kind of builds that out more and adds more to it but it's not you know something that's integral to the story itself correct like if the player doesn't want to do it they don't need to do it like if you just want to finish the game and don't do those types of side stories yeah. and side quests you don't need to gotcha so we we want to to leave the player able to not like because uh, some people are not interested in story they just want to play with this game being like a very story driven title would you really recommend somebody who like I guess you're never going to not recommend somebody for your game, right? But would you think that somebody who's more gameplay driven rather than story driven would this game line up for them? Or do you think they would kind of come away without the full experience if they just kind of focus on the gameplay and that was it? It's not going to be the entire experience if they, if they don't want to focus on the story a little. Mm -hmm. But we know like some people just don't want to like bother too much with the story yeah. itself. So yeah, we, we took that in mind. So like you can skip all cutscenes. We made it possible that it, you can skip all cutscenes if you don't want to, you know, go through all that process of like the dialogues, all that story. People who love those kinds of things, it's going to be there for them. Mm. And, and that's kind of what we're striving for is that people who love those things have access to that because we love creating. So we, we want to give life to that world as much as we can. And, but we know people want to, some people just want to focus on gameplay. So please focus on the gameplay. Mm -hmm. Just, just go keep, you can skip the stories. I'm going to cry a little bit, yeah. just a little bit, you know, I'll survive, but we don't want to force anyone to go through those, those, uh, moments. You mentioned the cutscenes. So with any game nowadays, I think localization is a big part of development. Um, so with your cutscenes and with the gameplay itself and with just the overall story, how much did you guys really key in on localization with this title? Like, was it a big part of your thought process with development? Kind of, was it a big part of the strategizing when you're building those cutscenes? Kind of talk to me about that for a second. Uh, it was actually a, a very important uh, point in our development process mm. for one reason, specifically. We are not native English speakers. We are actually, we actually speak Brazilian Portuguese. Really? 
that's our native language yes yeah so as of that we we did we did not did not build the game in portuguese mm-hmm. uh because if you're targeting international market you have to start with it of course that is uh, that is common knowledge and also we live in canada <laughs> uh, so english of course give it, uh, give it like five or six years you might be targeting mandarin more than english it could it could yeah uh, I, I can see that happening but also probably english is going to be like a huge uh language forever for a long time no, I not, agree. For, not forever, for a long time but yeah that's that's why it was like such a like a, a, a specific point for us mm-hmm. in the beginning is because our native language was not english and growing up i did not have access to games in portuguese mm-hmm. they were all in english and i did learn english at a very young age like, okay very young is too much like 11 years old ish something like that so everything i played before 11 i didn't do any of it like literally anything i had no idea what i was doing i had no idea what was happening mm-hmm. i did play a lot of things and enjoy a lot of it yeah even though i didn't understand any so that is the point like i we wanted to bring the possibility of localizing the game to bring the experience to people like that mm-hmm. that don't have access to the English. and it's a big portion like uh, a lot of people in brazil for example do not speak english yeah. so we kind of figured that would be important you know, it's a great point, and it's something that I think a lot of people who just play games based out of, like, you know, North America or I guess even maybe, like, Japan and, like, things like that because Japan had a really passionate development base in the 90s and things like that. So, like, they had games that were specifically made in Japanese. So, maybe, like, strategically there as well, but it's just something you never think about and then I talked to all these different developers and I realized that, you know, I, I obviously can only speak English and all the developers I talk to are all over the world and they can all speak English. And, you know, it, it definitely makes me think I'm, I'm not the smartest person in the room for sure. But like, it just, it gives you that re your realization that like localization is just such an important part of the industry, especially nowadays with it just expanding so rapidly. So exactly and, and it's kind of like you want to bring that experience to as many people as you can mm. and you know like some people are not fortunate to to be able to learn another language yeah. like I, I i had that opportunity when i was younger but i know people who who never had like my my parents for example like my father does doesn't speak english very well mm. he knew a little bit and he's learning more because i live in canada and he wants to come visit me more often <laughs> but if it wasn't for that situation it might not be someone who actually would be learning english mm. because he didn't have that opportunity when he was younger and i know a lot of and i know a lot of people who, who didn't have that so like it, it's kind of like you think a little a little about that like especially when you come from from some place else like it's yeah. it's a little more in your face and, and when you think about that it's like i want to bring this experience to more people as as much as i can and and then you start thinking about the possible localizations of your game like it's 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 a step forward it's 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 another step in the work that you have to think of and one thing that i that i think is important is that you have to plan that before mm-hmm. oh yeah definitely because english is is quite a like a condensed language when you're writing mm-hmm. when you're compared to a latin base like like portuguese and spanish for example like a, a small sentence in english in portuguese can become huge mm-hmm. so you have to plan space if you have that in mind in the beginning you are always leaving space when you're doing the like like menus and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that that you they're condensed to a certain ui yeah 
uh, to plan for what the localization can do. And you're always, you're always trying to finicky with space and like, this is taking too much space. What can I, what information can I, you know, change here in the English version to occupy less space. So when I localize, it actually fits. So you guys are localized, you're, you're localized. I can't talk. You're localizing it to Portuguese as well as English. Is there anything else you're targeting or just those two? Uh, at first, it's going to be English and, and Brazilian Portuguese. Mm -hmm. We did do a localization in Latin American Spanish, uh, Canadian French, and European French for the demo. You guys, um, did you hire somebody to do that or you guys did that yourself? We did. Okay. Uh, I don't speak those languages. I was going to say, man, we, <laughs> you really you really know a lot, man. <laughs> uh, I, I, have, I had the opportunity to study for but it never stuck to me, uh, unfortunately. Hey, I took French in high school and I don't know a word of French. So <laughs> yeah. I, I can pick up a few things. Like if I'm, if I'm reading in something in French, I might be able to pick up a few things, mm -hmm. but very little. Yeah. Uh, in Latin American Spanish, there's a similarity with Portuguese mm -hmm. that you can actually understand more of what they're saying. Uh, so it kind of, it, it kind of helps us a bit of the language so i if i actually have someone like localize the game in spanish i can kind of read the localization and understand what is going to know how it is yeah uh which is a, a small advantage what was uh but you know, we had people like uh there's a very very amazing from argentina who's doing the latin american spanish for us mm -hmm. and i have a friend here in canada who worked with me uh in a previous job that she she's a french canadian yeah uh and she thought so she, she speaks uh canadian french but she also studied studied linguistics if i'm not mistaken in college and she also knows the differences between european french and canadian french so she actually is able to do both what was the reasoning and the kind of the strategy behind putting that many different localized languages within your demo? Because I know usually, or not, I guess usually is a, a pretty broad statement, but I think with some indie developers, they'll focus on like, if they're going to localize their demo, they'll maybe do like one other language and that's about it. Just because it's kind of like that base model. Mm -hmm. What was kind of your guys' approach to kind of add all of those different ones in there as you rolled this out? We we wanted to bring it to more, as much people as we could mm -hmm. and our budget would allow. And one thing that we, when we started doing the like, in Brazil and Portuguese, we can do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's it's one last thing that we have to pay for. Yeah. But one thing that was in our mind, and maybe we were too scared of that situation, is that we don't see anyone doing like English in Brazil and Portuguese. Like it's 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 kind of like we thought people might think bad of us if we had Brazil and Portuguese as one localization only and didn't have other things. So we kind of went around trying to you know find more of what we could do we started thinking like and then we added like these other localizations to the demo because we wanted to reach more people like since we were going to have brazilian portuguese in the beginning yeah having more would uh reach more people would i do it again probably not <laughs> because uh the process of doing a demo and evolving the demo is not localization friendly mm -hmm. like we already changed like taxes here and there added tax in certain situations that unfortunately uh and I'm sorry to everyone who actually gets to that, is that it's not going to be localized. Like, we are adding the utensil system, which is like an equipment system mm. in the game. Uh, we're adding that in the demo pretty soon. And that is not going to be localized before. Just on Portuguese, 
okay, since we have it, we're going to do it, but uh, we're not going to do it the others because we're just going to be reworking and reworking the content and that just becomes just becomes a problem with the budget itself i think that's a big reason why a lot of indie developers don't localize their game till after they launch it because of that constraint within their budget because it's just localization typically i think a lot of developers i've talked to they'll localize their game out of the gate with the language they speak natively as well as english usually and then they'll kind of wait after the game gets some revenue and sales and then they'll bring in more localization because they have that flexibility so that's why like it's just i guess for me from that standpoint coming at it from that angle i was like it's surprising to see so many different options from a localization standpoint i mean it's great but you know i also see like you know there's possibly that kind of that fork in the road where it can hit your budget and your bottom line beforehand but but yeah and and that is and that is the thing like uh maybe maybe it was not like the most ideal thing to do when we did it but 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 we did like i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna say like i wish i hadn't done it like well i was it's done i would also say like it adds to the unique factor with your game you know where we talked about separating from the platforms that definitely separates yeah yeah and and hopefully it, it it reached out someone who who didn't speak english and had fun with that experience yeah. like I, I i'm hoping that I know like a few people like in Brazil might play the game in Portuguese. Mm. I saw a few videos actually like in, on YouTube of a few people playing Portuguese. Yeah. Which is, which was fun. Like I was like, I'm, I'm glad these people could, you know, have that experience. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I so, think it's something that people in, I guess the U S North America kind of overlook. It's one of the things I think that like, I don't know what you call it, the English snob and and a lot of people who play video games, they don't think about localization. It's not something that comes to mind, but it's a big deal across the globe. And it's something like in the next few years, it's going to be mandatory across the board for a lot of games. It's probably, yeah. yeah. And and I'm, it's really, it's really good to see that it's becoming more common. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was not something that would happen before. And now you can see more and more games and even from AAA uh, companies that are bringing that more and more. I've always, it, they did it. I was going to say, I was always shocked that AAA didn't kind of lead the way with that because you would think yeah. it would be the first to do it, but they really didn't. And I guess you got to, I don't know, from a AAA perspective, you focus on the majority, I guess, of people who you get sales from and maybe they just thought that from a bottom line standpoint it didn't make sense and it was just an added expense that they didn't want to take but i don't know it's something that i I was always shocked that they didn't lean more into because i mean you would think from their perspective it's more money that they can make and i don't know they just never they never lean into it if you if you think a little bit about this is triple a is not like about risking no no stuff. they take the so, same bet every single time and, it, and it's kind of a risk mm. like if you imagine it's kind of a risk like and it in especially if you're thinking things like matter of sales mm. into countries that are not developed like they don't have the same opportunities we have in like in canada and the u.s yeah. so like games are super expensive like i can say that from 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 Brazil's perspective, like games are insanely expensive, especially AAA games. I couldn't buy as many games I did back in Brazil as I can right now, like, and just because of how accessible it is in comparison. And it, it kind of 
keeps into the point how many people are going to buy that in like a triple game in a country like that and and you're putting that effort and that money into localizing and you're not going to see the revenue live up to that yeah so i i guess that's why triple a didn't leave them. Mm. maybe it could, it could be and and when you you kind of see a little bit of this and why not a lot of people tackle these kinds of things is kind of when you see it on steam you have the regional pricing and the regional pricing takes a lot of the price of the the actual game when you think about it in the end like if you're selling a game for 20 dollars 20 american dollars the price in in latin america is not going to be 20 dollars mm, yeah like it's going to be their own price and you're going to get what five bucks three bucks in the end depending on the place mm -hmm. so it kind of takes a little bit of that and people are kind of like look i'm putting all of this effort in for just that in return but what people don't think in the end is that if you don't have that those people are not going to buy your game in anyways so you're actually making money for doing that mm -hmm. so if if you if you do that and they, they may make it accessible for those people it's actually money you're making that you would never be making yeah it's a great point you know? and i think there's a lot of that I think a lot of people don't realize the level of like politics and business that just goes into games and development and selling and distribution and exchange rates. And there's, there's a lot of nuance to that topic for sure. And I think you yeah. know, AAA titles, they go, I think honestly, a AAA title sometimes go at the pace of their market. And I think gamers hate change. And I think it's something that kind of limits what AAA can do at times. and. Yeah, it's kind of that. Like they're kind of like sad into like what the gamers are gonna mm. expect. Yeah. So, like, you, like a lot of people are resistant to change. So like changing is a little difficult. It's a fair point. And I mean, I always use Call of Duty as an example for that. Everybody every year says Call of Duty is the exact same title, and they you know they hate on it and they talk all this shit. And then they're like, we need change, we need change. And then Call of Duty will come out the next year, and it'll be a little bit different in certain areas. I. Infinite Warfare, I think, was one of my favorite examples of that because it was so different than any Call of Duty before it. And it really was. It was a huge change, which players have been asking for for years. And what happened with Infinite Warfare it was one of the worst selling Call of Duties in the history of Call of Duty. And it's like, well, what exactly do players want? They want something that they understand and something that they are used to i think and it takes a yeah. lot to change with something that big well especially in a in a in a franchise that's already settled mm, yeah you know it, because i think it's you you can ask for change and ask for change all you want like as a player and we are players we know we know that because we're also players and we we expect changes on games like like take pokemon for, ex for example like huge a thousand changes everyone is expecting for that game and and they most of them kind of never happened and pokemon changes a little bit here and there all the time but it's never to the point of actually satisfying the change that people crave yeah but kind of people don't know what changes they 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 want change, but they don't know the changes they need. Exactly, yeah. Because if you change too much, they're going to get to the point like, this is not the same game, I don't want this. Mm -hmm. and, but if you don't change enough, it's like, no, this is not change. It's the same thing. Like, so it's kind of, it's just like a huge thin line between what is too much change and what is actually not no change at all. Um, outside of that, I mean, so for the game itself, that's really all the questions I specifically had. But on your end, is there something kind of you want to lean into or like take a closer look at that we kind of skimmed over, or we missed? Um, any thoughts on that? 
I'm just thinking a little bit about this. Like some flow, like we are, we're on, we're going like through like the recent Kickstarter that we had that was not successful. We're just trying to like, you know, understand what our next steps and we plan on that. Yeah. We're going to redo our Kickstarter. We already have the, the, the new pre-launch page ready. It's already there so people can follow. So we're just trying to like, you know, get into, get into the momentum of doing that again because you know the the lack of funding can can be very problematic on yeah on do you guys have a publisher or no no we don't yeah. we're i i thought about that a lot uh i kind of want to stay away from that we kind of want to self-publish oh. i know it's a risk we know it's we know it's a huge risk but there's also the point of like a publisher might uh try to change the view of the design of the game. Yeah, right? that is a discussion that a lot of developers have had where, you know, exactly. that's, that's something yeah. that could happen. Yeah. I had a few discussions with like different publishers uh, over over the months and there was always like one thing or another that made like back like back away or even the publisher itself like just like hearing like the the amount of time we're actually planning for development the publisher would we're not even continue the conversation mm. yeah because it's a huge game i'm not gonna lie like it's uh, we're planning like more than 10 areas for this game mm. we have like um, in mind more than 20 hours of gameplay uh so it's not a it's not a small thing that we're planning mm. and when they said to a publisher yeah, i think ooh, that we thought it might take a next amount of years the publisher was like oh no we're looking for something that it's going to release next year or in two years mostly yeah they want a short return i mean uh, yeah and they would like cut the conversation uh, like exactly right there yeah. which is fine like it's not like i was in the conversation like i was needing the publisher mm. or like i was there because i oh my god i need this publisher i was just like in the conversation to have an open door there's there's nuance obviously so this isn't every publisher but a good portion of indie publishers will do like mass publishing for yeah. games where they'll take on like a bunch of smaller titles they'll put you know a They'll put some money behind like Kickstarters and basic marketing and kind of get the word out in the circulation. And then they'll just fire out, you know, like 50 games basically. And the thought yeah. process being like one of them may hit and we may make, yeah. you know, a big profit off that. So it's it's a disappointing we've part seen, of publishing. We've seen things like that. And that is a practice that actually hurts developers a little bit. Yeah. Oh, Especially when you when you get into the Kickstarter area of things, like so much of the publishers do into that, or like as you said, like they, the publisher goes there, goes there, put a little bit of money to to into that Kickstarter to kind of market the game. They're not like they're asking for the money for the development; they're kind of doing that for marketing the game, and that kind of hurts all the developers that don't have that luxury. Yeah. Uh, and, and and that is the thing like people people have a little difficulty under uh, grasping that concept a little bit it's kind of a gray area and you see a lot of people commenting things like oh this budget is too high it's 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 not it's not black and white it's it's a little more complicated than that but it's difficult to explain it to, to everyone like and it, and it's it's fair it's it, we, we understand why people think like that mm. and and I, and I think a little bit about that as like how the publishers tackle this uh, could be one of the things that, that bring that, you know, type of thought. Ultimately, I think publishers want to return and they want to return based off, yeah. I think, minimal risk, maximum return. And I think that's something that minimal risk, maximum return. Yeah. And I think, again, I don't I don't 
with publishers i think it's a hard conversation to have because i think there's similar to developers there's you know millions of developers out there you know i think you know 100 games or i forget the statistic but it's like 100 games or, or 50 games or something gets released to steam every single week and it's like yeah. it's a big number and out of those games like five percent of them are you know quality titles that are actually something that players will enjoy and like they'll play as something that's a long-term experience for them and it's like similar with publishers i think there's a lot of publishers out there and i think that there's out of that portion there's a certain percentage that are quality that know what they're doing that know how to really enhance the developers experience through that process there's just on the other side of the coin for publishers it's like there's also a lot of risk because they don't there's so many games out there being made it's hard to be like let's lean into this game because we think it's going to be a great game you know, I, I think there's that level of risk where they want to protect themselves. And it's like, like you said, there's those levels or shades of gray in that area where it's like, where, I don't, I don't even really know how to say it. Like where should, where is that like developer publisher etiquette and how does that come into play with the mass majority of titles? You know, it's, it's just one of those areas where I don't really, I don't know how or what the answer would be for that yeah it's it's too complicated because of all the uh, different types of things and games that you see on there and it's it's it, as you said like it's it's a huge huge area that is like there's all these specifics that it's it's there, there's not like a single rule for it mm -hmm. your roadmap roadmap kind of moving forward into the end of this year what's that look like um what's your content schedule moving forward and i guess the ultimate question do you guys kind of have like a soft release window at this point or no no not yet mm, okay. like we still we, we're still quite far mm -hmm. from our release uh there's still a lot of content that needs to be done and a lot of planning uh, and one portion is that the Kickstarter was going to help us like put more on track of that. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. But mm. you know, like we're, it's not going to stop us. It's just going to have to do some replay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we don't have like a, a soft uh, please date yet. Uh, it's still going to take a while. It's uh, our plan for the Kickstarter was something around 2025. Okay. So that could be still like uh, an area of when we plan to release. Um, you started like the game way back in 09 and then you kind of like reopened it. When did you guys oh, yeah. like start really leaning back into developing this game? Um, I would say uh, somewhere around the pandemic. Okay, so like probably 2020-ish was when like you guys really started going back at it? Yeah, uh, around 2020. Like, we we began to dabble with the idea a little before mm -hmm. uh just like uh, just with the planning itself gotcha. but we didn't like put hands on on it uh before i would say august 2020. Okay. uh something like so in the middle of the pandemic was something that, that, that went in. so like full time on this game has been like a year now. yeah like uh, full time is a little hard to say because i do have a, another job that like takes a lot of my time part two full uh, time. <laughs> yeah 
But you know, like really diving into the volleyball was like 2020-ish, like late 2020. So I guess like the last question I have, it's a little bit more of a weighted question. I think there's a lot of ways you can go with it, but I always like to throw it out there because I think the indie gaming world, and we talked about publishing a little bit, we talked about localization. I think there's a lot of nuanced topics, but I think there's a lot of good things within the industry, but there's also things that can be construed as kind of negative, negative aspects, things that could be like improved upon. Obviously we talked about publishers, but I think like market oversaturation, I think of some toxicity within player bases. I think you talked about burnout actually, where you took that full month off. So there's like a lot of things within this industry that I think could use improvement. And if you could lean into one of those specific areas, which one would it be for you guys? Oh, there's a lot, <laughs> but I I think like two big things come to mind. Like specifically, uh, first one is the marketing portion. Like reaching out players is very difficult, and as a small team, yeah, your marketing resources are a little limited because if you're doing marketing, sometimes you're taking time away from development, and that means you're delaying things. So it kind of means it's a balance of like doing that and the repetition of doing that. Uh, we have this uh, Twitter lately it hasn't been very good with their algorithms. So how does that word is that algorithms? Yeah, algorithm, uh, yeah. No, I've noticed yeah, that it, too, actually. Their algorithm It's change. been all over the place. Uh, I don't know what's happening with that. And uh, like some I, I've been seeing that I'm not saying that from our like 100% for our perspective only because like we don't have that, that huge audience yet on Twitter we're, we're still growing ours and, and we're not like huge but I've seen from other huge accounts that they're saying like that they're like people are not reaching their content so, yeah, I've been seeing a lot of people saying that in 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 Twitter, it's being insane, you know. So, like, the marketing became an even extra step when that happened. Instagram is is another one that is it's starting to. It's a little weird. Uh, it, it was something based on photos that became videos, and now it's all about reels. Yeah. And when you're working with a game that is in a horizontal screen, working with reels is a nightmare because you have to prepare everything for that. Yep. vertical content that is not something that you work with so it's another extra step on actually doing stuff and doing marketing so i wish like i wish marketing was a little bit easier mm -hmm. more approachable for the indie world because it's the it's it's the stepping stone that all indie developers need that is always difficult yeah i completely agree with that i think with algorithms changing i always laughed facebook's motto i've heard i forget who it was a coder i was talking to and he said facebook's algorithm is move fast and break everything along the way and i think it's something that like it's just i don't know i found it hilarious and it's something that goes along with pretty much every cell shows social media algorithm nowadays yeah. it's just and it really affects a lot of developers bottom line because it really really impacts who you can reach how you can reach them and when you can reach them which is why a lot of them are leaning into more like website-based content where they own that product and then they have a newsletter that they distribute through their social media so that ultimately everything ends with them and it's not all on those social media platforms yeah. but again yeah, like that you is, mentioned that, that takes time you know 
it takes takes time. Yeah, and that time takes work. It's yeah, it's a thing. It definitely is. No, I agree with that. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I think we covered a lot. Um, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, I guess circling all the way back to the beginning, um, did yes. you uh, have any recommendations in mind that you want to kind of leave us with before we close it out? Uh, is it, does it need to be something risk? Does not matter. It can be anything. Does it matter? Nope. Um, I would say like one more recommendation that I have. Like uh, the game is Sword. Not sure if you play that. What is what's the I, game? East, Eastward. Eastward. Mm. Yeah, I'm gonna type in the chat chat for you so you don't lose the name. Okay. It's 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 sad like the Eastward. <laughs> it's it's so charming and so good uh, i i didn't finish it yet because like monster hunter sunbreak released and you know <laughs> i am a huge fan yeah, yeah, yeah. but i do i do want to go back and finish that game it's so charming so amazing and the soundtrack is delicious i i had a blast is it a newer game or is it a little bit older it's a little bit older like it's not to remember when they released but it was it was not long ago yeah. it's, oh 2021 yeah so it it's almost a year now that they released uh i only got it to play it this year the graphics vaguely they, remind me of like cuphead a little bit yeah. in a, a, granted i never played they, cuphead, they so have i this, really tell you i never played yeah. cuphead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know it's a crime to say it, but yeah, I never played it, so I don't know. Yeah, I know. We, we can keep that as a secret. Yeah, <laughs> a secret for only the people who listen to this. We'll, we'll exactly. Yeah, keep uh, it but yeah, that, that game, like, if you have a chance to play it, this one. It looks I, interesting. Yeah, for sure. It, it is fun. It is. They have this this approach to the game that was quite nice. It is. It was. It is an easy read mm -hmm. that I found, like going through the dialogues. And it's it's very it's it's quite having a story. So you have to like story. <laughs> uh, but it's it's very charming like the the art style in this game is is brutally beautiful i fell in love i've seen that i, I was in college like in college here in canada in 2017 and i saw art from that game it's part of what inspired me to go even more into pixel art because mm. i was doing things a, a lot more simpler than get a cake like a lot it's kind of like this inspired me to go a little bit the extra mile to learn more and, and has more techniques to, to, to you know go forward and and the game release i was like completely in love 